You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. And we are so excited that you chose to lean in with us today. Now, our one ask of each person that makes that choice to listen to our sermons is that for the next hour or so, you would test all things by the precious word of God, and that you would hold fast to every single part of it that's profitable for your life. And obviously, we believe that the entire counsel of the word of God is profitable. This comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, we understand that we are in a pandemic right now of COVID-19, and that means that many people are either separate from their church or you're in between churches or you're unable to gather. And so whether you are a part of our local body or you are, or, or you are with us for this season of our ministry, it is our hope that what you listen to today would be redemptive and transformative and encouraging and ultimately that it would spur you on to be more like Jesus. And so let's lean in. Let's focus on what God has for us today. Grace and peace. Well, good morning, Redemption City Church. It's Pastor Brandon. I'm super excited to be with you guys again on this faithful Sunday morning as we get ready to go into the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, we're going to be opening them up again to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story. And I want to remind you that this series is all about discovering who we are and what we've been called to do in light of every single thing that God has done for us, right? And he's done so, so much. Now, here remains our faithful aim. We've been talking about this now for months and months and months. No matter who you are, whether you're a pastor or elder at this church, or you're a covenant member, or this is your first time ever opening up this this weird book that we call the Bible that we say is living and inspired, we believe that if you take it seriously and you open your heart and you open your mind, that you can have an encounter with the God of the universe like you've never had before. Okay, so here's going to be the plan this morning. We're going to read through the end of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32 because I want us to be a church that reads the word of God uninterrupted. We've been talking about that even in our staff meetings. We want to be known and marked by reading scripture regularly. Okay, so we're going to do that. Then we're going to pray and we're going to ask God for power, perspective, and protection in both this sermon and within our lives in light of the things that we learn. And then I'm going to be spending a good chunk of time reminding us all about everything that we learned last week in segment A of this conversation. And then finally, we're going to take flight into all that God has for us today as we wrap up this beautiful, majestic, God-inspired, rich chapter 4 of Ephesians as we prepare for the glorious reality that God has for us in chapter 5. And so 
Let's, let's do this like we've never done before. I'm more serious than ever about preaching the word of God faithfully and taking his words at face value. Let me just be honest with you. Preaching right now for me is just too costly. The things that it does to me to play around with God, church, and the word. And so I want you to join me in taking the word of God seriously this morning as we get ready to see what he has in store for us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the beautiful word of God. Abba Father, we need your perspectives, God, because on our own, we just don't think quite right about you, ourselves, and other people, or really anything, God. Our minds are easily confused, and our hearts betray us all the time. But my God, your thoughts, O oh Lord, and your ways are so much different than ours. They're better than ours, distinctly holy and blameless. And that's the direction we want to follow you in, Jesus. And so we want and we need the mind of Christ so we can continue this journey of undressing ourselves of our old man and our old ways as we put on the new ways of our new man. We so badly want to undress ourselves of all these things that are offensive to you, God, which means we really, really need your perspectives to reorientate how we think about our life and our circumstances and our trials and our tribulations in order to make that possible. Therefore, we ask today corporately for your power. Because without your power, Holy Spirit, we simply squander away everything. We ruin things on our own. But through your power, Holy Spirit, activated and delivered by you, we can walk and jog and eventually run our Hebrews 12 race towards the sanctifying journey that you have set before us. 
with your perspectives and your power, we can become partakers instead of bystanders in this Christ-centered undressing event of the ages, making room for a new life with a new purpose and a new destiny. So Holy Spirit, protect the pure intentions of those listening today who earnestly desire to move out of their story into God's story. Protect them. Protect me from the snares of the enemy and our desires of the flesh. Biblical perspectives, biblical power, biblical protection, all from you, God, all from you. Lead me today. Use me. Hold me together physically. It's for your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. You know, church, I'm so excited about all that God has for us. You know, last week in part 18, titled The Christ-Centered Undressing Event of the Ages, segment A, Taking Off Callousness, we learned that oftentimes we don't act like Christ, even though we are Christians. And we learned that that happens, right, because we have grown callous in our hearts. And callous means to move past feeling, feeling the ability to feel convicted, feeling wrong, knowing right from wrong, we become callous. And when that happens, it's a real sign, a dangerous warning sign that we are gravitating towards our old man and our old nature. We learned that Paul says not to walk like the old you anymore, but instead to put on Christ, staying focused on the new you that God has set before you in Christ. We learned that without Christ, we were people who were lacking understanding of God. We were alienated from the life of God. We were lost in our ignorance. We were possessed hardened hearts. We were callous. We were slaves to our sexual desires, our sensualities, and we were so greedy as people. Remember this? We learned that um, as we see and understand Jesus more relationally, our minds begin to change, then our hearts begin to change, and then most definitely when those two things line up, our activities and our behavior begin to be transformed and changed. We learned that not only is purity important for us to see God, right? Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So not only is that true, but our purity is important for others. Because if they don't see God in us, they may not see God at all. We learn that sin is both active, if, um, excuse me, if sin is both active and uncorrected, it eventually will lead us astray. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. We learn that when we are alive in Christ, we have these God-given feelings and we are not to be known as a people who lose the ability to, to feel godly conviction. We don't want to be marked by callousness. We learn that the good news is that when we're struggling with our sin, I know that it's hard, it's painful, but the good news is when we are struggling with our sin, this is an important sign that we are not past feeling. That means that we are so alive in Christ still and we're not dead, right? That's good news. We learn that we are most likely saved because we're an adopted child of God. And that means that we are more than a conqueror and that the Bible describes and prescribes that we will stand victorious in Christ in the end. And that is amazing news. We learn that what keeps us so sensitive and engaged and encouraged in our walk with God and how we get to know him is knowing him relationally, personally for ourselves. And that's with a period. We can't live off of other people's faith. We can't live off of other people's hope. When we know God personally, everything changes. We have to learn Christ, talk to Christ, dwell with Christ, mourn with Christ, rejoice with Christ, and ultimately find our 
hope in Christ. We learn that we have to be a people called to a type of ferocious intentionality of changing our activities because of a glorious new identity given to us by God. We learn that daily the old man, remember this, daily the old man is going to keep knocking on the door asking to be let back in and we have to resolve to undress ourselves of him and the old nature every single day. And then finally, we learn that to avoid being duped and deceived by lust, we must completely and utterly without any hesitation starve it out with genuine repentance and a genuine desire to change. And that brings us to today, part 19, titled The Christ-Centered Undressing Event of the Ages, segment B, segment B, put them all away. What are all these things we need to put away? That's what we're going to be learning today. And so today is going to be all about understanding more practical steps that we, as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, need to take. You tracking with me? To look more like Jesus. Now, we stopped our deep dive last week on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, right? And so we're going to pick back up on verse 22 really briefly again, and then we're going to march right into our focus on verse 23, and we're going to keep it going, all right? So let's do this. Let's see what God has for us today. Here we go. Verse 22 and 23. This is the word of God. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former man of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here goes 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Okay, so once you begin to undress yourself of the old man and your old nature and say to it, no, 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 God will then, because you're changing your mind, renew it. Oh man, that's legit. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, you will find yourself thinking more clearly. You're going to be more energized. You're going to be more focused, and you're going to feel like you are more purpose-driven. And this is because the God of the universe begins to change your heart. You with me? He begins to change your heart. Let's look at what the next verse says in verse 24. Let's read that all again. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Like, can't you see, as difficult as this may sound, the steps are really easy. In fact, they can be bottle-capped really faithfully into these five simple yet important steps. So let's look at it this way. Here are the five steps into deeper Christ-centered living. Here we go. Step one. Step into deeper Christ-centered living by undressing yourself of taking off your old man. No matter how difficult, painful, uncomfortable, or costly it feels, rip the old ways off. In just a little bit, we're going to be talking about a host of things God desires of us to rip off, right? This is the weights and the sins that so easily cling to us and slow us down in our race to be more like Jesus that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. Listen to me. Get that dead sad, destructive, unhelpful, hope, joy, sucking weight off of you as soon as possible. Hate the old man. Hate the old nature. Despise him and have utterly nothing to do with him. All right, step two, change your mindset and your will. 
listen, you are not some helpless, weak, I can't do anything robot that sin gets to push around whenever it wants. You are an adopted child of God on high, and God has no rivals. He's tracking no equals and no threats that move him one iota of an inch past where he desires to be himself or where he desires you to be in your life. Therefore, therefore, you make the radical resolve and decision today to be different. You with me? No excuses. Just resolve to be different. God created you with this incredible thing called your free will. He gave it to you. And that same free will that he gave Adam and Eve that they activated against God, he's given you that same free will to activate with him, through him, towards him, and ultimately for him. Those simple yet supernatural gifts that God gave you, remember we talked about that in Ephesians part 15 through 17, those gifts, those good gifts are given to you to strengthen yourself and others towards the same. You get the opportunity to choose the right path, to choose right behavior, to choose things that glorify him. So brothers and sisters, change your mind. Make the resolve. Change your mind about wrong desires and selfish intentions and pick Jesus. Pick Jesus. He's done the work in you and his hand is powerfully stretched out to you. All you have to do is grab his hand and return. Let's look at step three. Okay, so, so let's kind of let's, let's walk through this. Step one, undress yourself by taking off your old man, right? As you do that, then you get to change your mindset and will. And then step three, allow God to renew your mind and change your heart. You see that connection? Change your mindset and will. That's your free will. Then God gets involved in the party simultaneously and renews it and perfects it and transforms it and changes it. But now, of course, God does the heavy lifting, right? Even in the mind and most definitely in the heart, God is doing the major work. Therefore, live open-handedly with God. Don't close your hands. Don't demand your own way. Don't shake your face demanding explanations for everything that is uncomfortable and fair and convenient to you, going, ah, God, I want this, I want that. Don't do that. Believe by faith that he's doing a supernatural work in you regardless of your feelings. You track with me? Base what you believe off of the promises in Scripture not what you see with your earthly eyes. Base what you believe and what you do and how you act off of his past record of being so radically faithful to you, not your feelings. And most importantly, let God break your heart so that he can then mend it and suture it back together into wholeness. Stop holding things tightly. Stop holding things inside. Be careful to watch your bitterness. You tracking with me? Watch your bitterness and anger. I'm going to explain more about anger deeper into our sermon. Let's keep marching. So, okay, so step one, undress yourself by taking off your old man. Step two, change your mindset and will. Step three, allow God then to renew your mind and change your heart. And then we go into step four. Clothe yourself with the new man while continuously denying the old man day by day. You see, folks, it's a both and situation, namely putting on righteousness and taking off carnality, stepping into sanctification while leaning into mortification. In other words, dying daily so you can live more brightly. 
It's about dying to yourself and your wrong motives and your wrong behavior daily so that you can live in Christ so brightly filled with joy. And we live more brightly by operating and living under these new activities of the new man because of a new identity which has a new destiny in store for us. Okay, so let's review this again. Step one, undress yourself by taking off your old man, then change your mindset and will, then God renews it and transforms it at the mind and heart level. You then put on new things. You've created room for Christ. And then here goes step five, you ready? Repeat this process until your final breath on earth. Now, this one is so important. It's so valuable. It's so critical. It's not a one-time deal thing that you do and then you're done. You don't just take off the old man one time and then you're done. Keep expecting the old man to return and you keep telling him, no, 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 no. Keep learning and leaning into this journey of denying him daily as you walk towards Christ faithfully. You got to do that until your final breath, folks. You can't take a day off. Don't stop. You can't stop because he's not going to stop knocking on the door. Now, I promise you, chapter 5 has so much good news about this whole new activity thing. It's going to be so legit. It's going to be super encouraging. That's next time, and it's going to be good, right? But as much as I can't wait to get to chapter 5, right now, we have faithful, important, redemptive work to finish up as we wrap up chapter 4. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to have a genuine desire. A genuine desire must be birthed in us to care radically about what God says right now about desiring to put off old habits and old behavior. So let's keep going. Because if you want to make your home, your heart, habitable for Jesus, I'm going to say this again, if you want to make who you are habitable, habitable for Jesus to live in, you really do got to say no to your old life, okay? You got to step away from that. You need to completely and utterly undress yourself of these old behaviors so you can prepare room for the king to live inside of you you got to get his character inside of you. You know, it's like with my own kids, Aiden and Aubrey, when they used to play dress-up. They used to come down the stairs and in their costumes. Now, for Aiden, it typically would be the Black Panther from Marvel's Avengers. He loves the Black Panther. He just loved that movie, Wakanda Forever, all that. With Aubrey, it's going to be her being a doctor, and she's going to come down with all her utensils and her Barbie dolls and all her stuffed animals. And you know what's just so interesting is that once they undress themselves of being Aiden and Aubrey and they put on the new clothes of the Black Panther and Aubrey being a doctor, you know what's strange is their attitudes begin to change. They start talking different and everything changes when they put on their new identity. And then all of a sudden, Aiden believes he could jump off roofs, folks. He believes he could lift up the couch and he tries to attempt all these crazy things. And then all of a sudden, Aubrey thinks that she can do complex surgeries on people. You know, it's crazy. When they put on these new identities and these characters, their behavior changes, their talk changes, and their activities change. Well, in that same way, when we put on our new man and we step into our new identity, our character changes, our speech changes, 
and our activities change too. We begin to live up to a more holy, righteous standard. You tracking with me? Therefore, the longer you do that, and the longer I do that, and the more we put on our new man, and the more we put on the behaviors and the actions and the activities of Christ, the more we're going to identify with Jesus. You're tracking? The more normative that will feel because it becomes more natural. The new man becomes the only man that you are. It gets easier and easier over time. Because no matter what age you are, I want you to know this truth. You with me? Lean in. No matter who you are, no matter what age you are, every one of us are putting on people and characters all the time. Look, we look at celebrities and we go and we see someone at the mall or perhaps within our church or we go to our kids recital or their school play and we say, oh man, I really like that outfit or I really like what this family, oh, I like how they're dressing. I like how they do their holidays. I like what they have on their Pinterest account. Like, can't you see now? We are constantly putting on other people's clothes, behaviors, activities, But the question really is, are we putting on Christ? Because Jesus is saying, hey, hey, study me, copy me, look at the way I acted, look at the way I move, follow me. And brothers and sisters, we want to lean into that with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls. We want to look and copy Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 have to say, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, therefore, Paul is saying that if if you and me want to have huge success and if we want to live well in our lives, we have to undress ourselves. We have to put off our old man and have renewed minds. We got to put on Christ. Now, sometimes Satan's going to try to trick you. You tracking? And sometimes you're going to fall into temptation. It's not if, it's when. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes Satan's going to try to trick you, and sometimes you will fall into temptation and you will sin. And in those times where you fall and you sin and you fall into temptation and debauchery and carnality, when you're drawn to your old man, you got to fight. Oh, you got to fight big time. You have to say, no, no, no. And you have to cast your gaze to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 of looking directly and intently at Jesus and not taking your eyes off of him. And then from that moment, hey, lean in with me. And from that moment, you have to repent. Genuinely, heartfeltly, I'm ready to do whatever it takes, Jesus type of repentance. You tracking? You got to do that. And then Jesus inside of you, who's, who's living in you, who's made room there because you have made room to be habitable for him, starts to get to work. Oh, that's good news. He starts to get to work and you return back to doing the things that Jesus said. You tracking? You say no to that sin. You repent of that sin. You say whatever it takes to Jesus and you get back radically to doing what Jesus has called you to do. And it takes 
great humility, folks, for this process to happen. You've got to be humble and ferocious to put Jesus back on in replacement of that old man, particularly after falling into sin. Now, let's look at verse, 20, at verse 25. It's the beginning of a very important practical list through verse 32 of how we are to look like Christians. So here we go, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you, that's all of us, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. All right, let's press pause and talk because what Paul says is so basic and it's so simple yet, listen, yet, it's so important and it's hard for us to do. And every single one of us struggle with this thing at some degree. Are you ready? Here it is. Stop lying all the time. Stop lying all the time. Hey, stop lying to yourself and saying that you're further along with Jesus than, than you really are when you clearly know that you don't spend any time with him. Don't do that. You're removing the opportunity to repent and to move close to him. Stop lying to yourself and saying that your life is so would be so much more amazing if you just had this or just that because you have tried it all, haven't you? And you're still not satisfied. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to yourself saying, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. Stop saying that. You know that you always have a choice with your behavior, your activities, your your attitude, your mouth, you have a choice. Stop lying to yourself and saying that if I just follow my heart, everything's going to work out okay. Stop lying to yourself. How many times have you followed your heart and it's led to more pain and you've hurt people? Our hearts are deceitful above all things who can trust us what the word of God says. Stop lying to each other about who you are and what you want when you know that half of the things that you want aren't good for you and lay them down before the God of the universe. Stop lying to God about your circumstances as if God is not in heaven on high seeing all things. Stop lying. Stop it. Stop lying yourself and saying that your sin is not a big deal when you know it is rotting your soul away. Jesus inspired Paul to say, hey you, you are a Christian now. Stop lying. Stop that behavior. But why is Paul saying this? Here is the answer. Because when you lie to yourself and you lie to other people, you hurt yourself because we are members of one another. You remember that? We talked about that, being in unity. Now, not all of us are going to struggle with lying to the same degree. You still tracking with me? But we all fall into versions of lying all the time. And listen, when you lie, you will never ever, 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 ever get away with it. Jesus promises that, and I'm going to show you that in the text. Let's look at Luke 12, 2 through 3. Nothing. You know what the word nothing means in Greek? Nothing. You know what it means in Greek? Nothing. You know what it means in American? Nothing. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. This is sobering. Verse 3. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on housetops. 
Wow, this is a sobering, sobering reality because shall be is, a, is as concrete as it gets, right? Shall be literally means it will certainly occur. I looked it up. Shall be means it will certainly come to pass. So let, let's, therefore, whatever you have to set in the dark will certainly be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms will certainly be proclaimed on the housetops. Oh man, look at what word is underlined in bold and caps. Nothing, nothing, nothing stays in the dark. Pay attention. If you are lying, your sin is going to find you out. Jesus promises that. I don't want that for you. Therefore, no more lying to yourself, no more lying to others, and most definitely, no more lying to God. Stop doing that. You have to stay in the light. You have to tell the truth. No secret closets, no secret avenues and rendezvous. No more of that. Stay in community. Stay in accountability partners, right? Let someone have the, the, the password to your phone. Invite them to look at your phone whenever they want to. Get those devices out of the dark. Are you tracking with me? Let a trusted individual have the passwords to every single device of technology that you own. Encourage them to look at it and check it constantly. You want to be in the light. No secrets because Jesus says you're going to be found out. And it's going to pass. And it's not going to go well for you. So who are we? We are a people called to move away from the old man's devastating activity of lying. For when we lie, we hurt ourselves and other people because we afflict the body we are affixed to. We also dishonor God. Wow, that's big. We dishonor God. Instead, we should clearly put on Christ's identity, resolving to stay in community alongside accountability partners to help us stay in the light, lest our sin find us out. Now, let's slow down and talk about lies a bit more because there's different types of lies, aren't there? Let's fillet this open for a minute so we can wisely understand that. You see, there's the lie of omission and there's the lie of commission. Let's look at both briefly. We are to avoid the lie of omission. You see, the lie of omission is when an individual doesn't tell the entire truth. You with me? It's the devastating failure to do or say something that you have a real moral and biblical obligation to say and to speak up in. Now, we are also to avoid the lie of commission. You see, the lie of commission is when you speak something that is completely and utterly false or it's super fabricated in a way that fractures and deviates completely from the truth. It's a type of twisting of the truth to create usually a more favorable version of something that's happened, usually in favor of you or someone you're trying to protect. Listen to me. When you participate in either type of lie, you're going to be found out. The Bible says so. You're going to be marked as a liar. I want you to hear this. And when you're found out, you're going to be marked as a liar and you're not going to be trusted anymore. 
I want, this, this is important. You're not going to be trusted anymore. And then, because of your shame, you're going to try to protect yourself more, and you're going to be tempted to lie more, so people will then like you again. And when you lie to try to protect yourself, you're actually hurting yourself more and more. Did you know that? Every time you keep lying, you are hurting yourself and afflicting yourself and others even more. So whatever you're lying about right now in your life, lean in. Pay attention. Whatever you are lying about right now in your life, it may be painful to deal with it. I've been here. I know. It may be painful, stressful. It may cause more problems and rift. People may get hurt by you being honest about something that you're holding in the dark. But you got to deal with it. I promise you it's going to go better for you in the end. Let's look at what else Paul says in verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Oh, that's good news. So Paul's talking about anger now, and this is super important because when we have anger, it opens the door for Satan. You hear what I said? When we're angry, wrongly, it opens the door for Satan. And we all get angry, don't we? That's why Paul is addressing it here in the text. God's inspiring him to do that. That makes this part of the text super important for us to really see what God has for us and to lean into. So let's do this. Listen, when you're angry, excuse me, when you're angry, don't settle to go to bed angry. Don't do that. You got to settle to not go to bed angry. Listen to me. When you let that anger fester overnight into your sleeping chambers, it will rot your soul. It will rot your soul. In fact, this is such an important thing to me that I made a resolve. I have these 32 resolves that are on my wall in my home office, and one of them says, I refuse to allow myself, or more rather, I resolve that I will not go to bed angry with anyone in my closely attached life, lest I sin. And I have been up until three in the morning talking things out with my wife or someone I've mentored or whatever, taking that resolve radically seriously because I know that it will rot my soul. And I don't want that. Therefore, do whatever you have to do. You with me? Do whatever you have to do to confess your anger, repent from your anger, and deal with your anger. Forgive, forgive. Do it fast. Do it radically. Whoever you need to forgive, including yourself. You with me? Because if you don't do that in a day, in a week, in a year, in seven years, at some point, Hebrew warns us and exhorts us that Satan is going to plant a root of bitterness within us. You tracking? He's going to plant a root of bitterness within you. And then eventually, those roots of bitterness are going to grow into fruits of bitterness within your life. And it's going to affect other people. And then you're going to develop friends and you're going to bear children with bitterness in their heart. And I know you don't want that, right? I know you don't want that. So, hey, be extra careful. Otherwise, you're going to be walking around like you've been baptized in pickle juice with your face scrunched up, being bitter all the time. 
and nobody wants to see that. You don't want to be around that, and nobody else wants to be around that. And you'll be mad at people all the time that didn't do anything to you. And you're going to be wondering why. Why, why am I mad at them all the time? And w- what's going on with me? And the answer is going to be because somewhere along the line, a year ago, five years ago, you allowed a root of bitterness to bear fruit in your life, and it's been going on for so long, you don't even remember what you're bitter and angry about anymore. And then you're going to have to go spend $50,000 in cycle therapy working it out okay so a, a much better way and a much better alternative is to deal with your anger before you go to bed radically resolve to forgive reconcile and to lay your angry stuff down lest you sin now i want you to notice something very important though in the verse it's right in the beginning so let's look at that verse again it's in bold for you be angry hmm and do not sin be angry and do not sin. I want you to notice that God permits you to be angry. However, you are not to sin. All right, let me, let me, let me make it simpler for you. What Paul is saying is be angry, yet don't let the anger cause you to sin. But there is an exhortation to be angry. Listen, this verse isn't asking you or me to be passive and to roll over and to stand around and to do nothing when injustices occur at home, in your relationships, in your churches, or in our culture. Instead, God is asking you and God is asking me to not let that anger turn into sin. You still with me? But I don't want you to miss that Paul is clearly saying be angry. That's a clear exhortation. You should be angry. Just don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. So that should beg a very, very important question. You still with me? When and how should the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian exercise anger? When should we do that? And how should we do that? And here's the answer. You ready? Be angry when other people are sinned against and are experiencing injustices wrongly. But don't be angry for yourself. God will fight on your behalf. When you are angry for yourself, it is a type of protecting and defending that is always going to lead you to sin. But you be angry for others who are being wronged and experiencing injustices. You use that anger to defend them, to stand up for them, and to intercede for them as Christians. This is super big. The Bible is so clear about angry being something that God uses for righteous reasons. Jesus was angry and flipped tables in the middle of the square when he saw people abusing his father's home. This whole passivity of Christianity is not God's heart. We are to be strong men and strong women who stand up for justice. Now, how do we do that? It's something that the Bible calls righteous indignation. We're to have righteous indignation about the right things. And so here's a brief definition that I put together. You guys know I love writing definitions. And so here's, a, here's the most faithful and biblical definition of righteous, um, righteous indignation that I was able to write for you guys today. Let's take a look at that. Righteous indignation is a biblically permissible emotion of anger over mistreatment insult or malice that someone else experiences. An example of righteous indignation is seen loudly when Jesus drove the money lenders out of the temple in Matthew chapter 21. Listen, 
we as Christ followers need to channel our anger into constructive activity, not remove it and be passive. That's not the gospel. To be a Christian is to be docile. Get, 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 get that out of here. We need to channel anger and emotion and conviction. We should feel things into constructive activity. So what is that action? I've provided two wise biblical ways that we can take anger and funnel it into constructive activity so that it can be used for God's glory. Here's number one. We can use our anger constructively for God's glory when we funnel our anger into the constructive activity of prayer and intercession. So get angry and resolve to pray. You see what I'm saying? Get angry and then pray. Get angry and then resolve to give it to God. That's what you do with your anger. The next time you see an adult entertainment store, you with me? And you're driving down the street with your children and you see an adult entertainment store on the left, get angry, but then pray. Then pray. Pray for the owner and the employees that work at that adult entertainment store who dedicate their life to such a business and pray that God would rescue them. And then you pray for everyone who walks in that adult entertainment store and ruins their life that God would rescue them. Pray that they repent and that they meet God. You see, the next time you see a family getting separated through divorce and carnality and sin and adultery, get super angry and then pray. Have righteous indignation when you come to God and ask that he would restore that marriage, that he would heal those hearts and that he would protect those beautiful children that are stuck in the middle of these adults' mess. Get angry about brokenness. The next time you see a poor family, injustice, poverty, racism, get angry about it and then pray. Redemption City Church, pray. And then ask God that you would be more, genu- more generous and a more benevolent person, that you would do something holy and pleasing to him about these things. Get off the sideline. Be angry and pray. Listen, when we utilize our anger as an opportunity to build God's kingdom, let me say it again, when we utilize our anger as an opportunity to build God's kingdom, we become powerful, unstoppable vessels for Jesus. Because make no mistake about it, the key for our anger and our outrage and our righteous indignation is to bring other people into a loving, restorative, redemptive, amazing relationship with the God of the universe. Ooh, that is good news. I'm going to say it again. The whole key of our anger and our outrage and our righteous indignation is to produce something that leads to restorative relationships with broken people, with the God of the universe. If your anger isn't producing that end and that aim, it's probably developing roots of bitterness that leads to fruits of bitterness. And I told you, you're going to have a lot to work out in and you're going to look like you've been baptized in pickle juice with your face scrunched up all the time bitter and nobody wants to be around that let's go to verse 28 let the thief no longer still but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in 
need. Oh, I love this. I want to keep using my gifts right now as a simple yet supernaturally gifted preacher and teacher of God's word to keep it simple. Okay, you ready? Let's keep it simple. Here we go. Ready? This is, this is super big, super deep, but yet it's super simple. If you're stealing, stop doing it. If you're stealing, stop stealing, period. Stop taking what doesn't belong to you. Are you tracking with me this morning? Whether it's financially, stop stealing. Spiritually, stop stealing. Emotionally, stop stealing. Relationally, stop stealing. Stop taking what doesn't belong to you. Be a hard worker, brothers and sisters. Learn things. Strive and work towards things in your life. Don't be lazy and laggardly. Do the work. Get in the game of life. Stop talking about what you could do and who you could be and put your effort into doing that and becoming that wisely today. Because there's nothing worse than a person that says, I could do this and I could do that and does nothing with it. Don't resolve to be lazy and living off of your happiness and your desires, living off of other people's work and other people's labor. Get to work, labor, and be a contributor, not just a consumer. Okay, follow along. We're not only called stop giving. See, that's a, that's a worldly narrative. That's like being a good person, don't steal. We are Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, and Jesus came and talked to the Pharisees and made it clear. God doesn't just want you to not murder he wants you to love. He doesn't just want you to stop committing adultery. He wants you to be radically faithful to your wife, right? This is, this, is the God, this is what Jesus comes to establish. So here we go. He doesn't just want you to stop stealing. He simultaneously calls us to leap to the complete other side of the spectrum and to radically start giving and serving. And I mean serving a lot and giving a lot. Ooh, I love Jesus. Hey, stop stealing and start giving. Stop stealing and start serving. Pay attention. It's not just about stopping the stealing and sinning. It's about learning to live by radically giving your life away. That is so good. Just stop stealing is what the police are for. That's what they do. Christ, Christ followers, Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we care to give everything away because we know that Jesus is taking care of us. You see, our testimony, folks, isn't at our brightest because we tell our testimony of everything that we stopped doing. That's good. We do. Man, my name is Brandon. I used to be this and I used to be that. And in Christ, he set me free. That is a beautiful testimony. But our most radical and brightest light that we have to offer this world is not what we stopped doing. It's what we started doing. It's what we decided to do with our lights. That is our greatest testimony because God's glory is most vividly seen in what we do for him, not what we gave up for him. Oh, I'm going to say that again. That'll change your whole life. God's glory is most vividly seen, not primarily in what we gave up, but what we chose to begin to pick up in our lives. So who are we? We are a people called to not only undress ourselves from the old man's way of stealing, but to step into the new Christian activity of giving and service. Because our testimony isn't at its brightest by sharing what we stopped doing in our past, but our greater testimony is what we started doing in our present 
because of Christ. That's good news. Now, as your pastor, I want to encourage each and every one of you today, as I encourage myself to seek our God to help us get growing in this whole communication thing. You with me? Like, ask the Lord to tame your tongue. It's important. Not just to keep our mouths shut because we've resolved like, oh, I'm not a good communicator. I should just be quiet. I don't want to cause any problems. No, but ask the Holy Spirit to supernaturally change you and what you say because of the transformation that you believe is possible within your soul and within your heart. Listen to me. You are an adopted child of God. You're an adopted child of God, of the richest father ever, namely Yahweh, the God of the universe, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, all these names that he carries. Therefore, if you genuinely ask your heavenly rich father, who has all things, believe he's going to answer you. Because we don't want to live as Christians closing each other's mouths and closing our own mouths because we're afraid that we can't say the right things. But rather, we want to tame and then use our tongue so we can give lives to others instead of death. And we want to give life abundantly. Simply resolving not to speak death is not good enough. We have to make the radical resolve to get in the game and give life with our mouth to our spouses and our children and our friends and our other stuff, hurting people with your mouth and start healing people in Christ with your tongue. Let's keep tracking to verse 30. <laughs> verse 30 is so good. Oh, sorry, man. I meant to read that verse. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may uh, give grace to those who hear. That's why I exhorted that, giving grace to those who hear. Let no corrupt talk come out. Let's keep tracking now to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Oh my goodness. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, did you know that the Holy Spirit is literally with you all the time? Like, did you really know that? All the time, he's with you. Let me tell you why that's so important and also provide a very, very important exhortation of warning as well. Okay, this is so important because we have access to God in such a way that he will guide us to be life givers with the things that we say if, here's the clause, if we seek him before we speak. Therefore, you and me can have real solid confidence regardless of our natural abilities to communicate because God will help you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's with us all the time. Listen, even if you were raised in a home that was yelling all the time and everyone had sharp tongues, or if you were raised in a home that was filled with timidity where it was like rare that anybody would even speak out because everybody was scared to share their opinions. You, my brother, you, my sister, can have real hope and real confidence no matter what your background, family, narrative, and journey was that the Lord is going to shape you to be markedly different no matter what family you came from if you acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is with you always to the end of the age in everything you do. He's with you when you talk. He's with you when you try to give life. And he can change whatever family you came from. And you can create a new story and a new family of being a life giver with your tongue. 
Now, here's an important exhortation of warning about the same thing. Because God is literally with us everywhere, all the time and every day, we have to stop grieving the Holy Spirit. We have to stop doing that because the Holy Spirit is right there with you when you are raising your voice at your children and you are belittling them and making them despondent. He was there. And uh, the Holy Spirit is right there with you when you are cold and bitter talking to your spouse that way. The Holy Spirit's there and you're grieving him. You're grieving him when you talk to your wife that way. You're grieving him when you talk to your husband that way. The Holy Spirit is right there when you are mocking and gossiping about other people. And you're grieving his heart when he sees his son and daughter doing those things. The Holy Spirit is right there when you're listening to that faulty music in your car and you're watching that debauchery-filled movie and you're hurting your father's heart. The Holy Spirit is right there all the time. So the Holy Spirit is grieved according to this verse and others, not because, this is such an important thing, not because God is surprised, but because God knows how much your decision is going to hurt you and others and cause pain. And that is an important truth. It's not that, lean in, it's not that he's never heard a cuss word before from your mouth. It's not that he's never, uh, that he's surprised like, oh my gosh, there's a cuss word. It's that he's grieved because he knows what it's doing to your soul and what it's doing to my soul. He's not even grieved because he's primarily disappointed and fed up with you. No, I personally believe that the Holy Spirit is grieved because he's so radically filled with love for you and he's overwhelmed at the sight of his child hurting themselves. It's like watching your old children can you imagine watching your children and they were literally torturing themselves, hurting themselves in the deepest ways, but because of their free will and free choice, they're choosing that. And out of your love as a good mom and a good dad, it's grieving your heart. Some of you have children, wayward children, they're doing the wrong thing, right? It grieves your heart. That's what the Spirit is saying. So this verse is not a threat from God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not a threat. Instead, I believe it's the heart of God on radical display who loves you saying, I don't want that for you. You're hurting my heart, son and daughter. Don't do that. All right, let's move forward to verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Put them all away. Now, this verse is listing different ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit and damage ourselves, right? You still with me? And Paul is saying, put them all away. All of them away. Hence the title of this sermon. Put them all away because they will ultimately give you a disease. No, family and friends, literally, if you keep having bitterness in your heart and you keep being an angry, wrathful person and you keep clamoring and slandering and having malice, what Paul is saying, inspired by God, is that literally it's going to cause cortisol imbalances. You're going to have wrinkles on your face. You're going to stress out. Your blood pressure is going to go up. You're going to have cardiovascular issues going on. And you're going to start fatiguing out over time. And you're literally going to get yourself a physical disease. And you're most definitely going to have a disease in your soul. 
you're going to be stressing your body out all the time. You're going to be stressing out other people's bodies all the time. And you're going to be ultimately grieving the Holy Spirit. Therefore, put them all away. My God. But instead, our God on high provides a better alternative and foundation of what we should do. Ooh, we're getting ready for chapter 5. He then supplies the beginning of what we should do. And that's good news. You see, after all, chapter 4 is all about building a wise bridge off of chapter 1 through 3. See, chapters 1 through 3 was all about who is God and what he's done for us and what he's provided. We're so rich. We're so valuable. We're so special. Chapter 5 is all about what we get to do and what we get to stop doing. And chapter 4 is this wise, beautiful bridge. So let's get ready to see that right now. You ready? Verse 32. Be kind to one another. Oh, I love this. No slander, no malice, but instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted. I wish I could flay on. Oh, I wish I could really just break down tender-hearted, forgiving one another as cry as God in Christ forgave you. Oh my God on high in the heavens. My God, did you see that? All of this comes down to the fact of what God's done for you. Namely, that Jesus died on the cross. Remember, me and you were so dead to rights. But Christ, he, he saved me and he saved you. He, he, he did that. You and I were so guilty. We were so imprisoned. But Christ set us free. He did that, folks. And that is supposed to produce something in you. So Jesus is saying right now, he's asking you, hey, hey, I've died for you. I've paid the price. I've paid it in full. You're free. Now get involved in the mission. Live your new life. It's your turn now to repent, to say sorry to your heavenly father and the people that you've hurt. It's time to die. Pick up your cross and die daily and follow me. Let me tell you a big secret. You ready? This is a big secret. When you allow yourself to be lowly and meek and you are accepting God's grace right here and you are genuinely repenting from right here, God's healing power comes rushing towards you every single time. But when you clamor on high to protect yourself and to get away from your pain, and when you avoid dealing with things, you will find yourself separated and distant from every single thing that you need from God to live a whole and healed life. So if your passion for Jesus right now, hey, lean in, if your passion for Jesus right now is dull and you're doing things in your life that you never wanted to do and you're arriving in places that you never wanted to arrive in and that you never wanted to be in, you need to repent today. You got to repent. You need to resolve to step into the Christ-centered undressing event of the ages of taking off these old habits, these old behaviors and start preparing room so that you have a habitable place for Jesus in your life. Maybe you've gotten too loose and laggardly with how you entertain yourself, the things you're listening to, the things you're watching on TV. Perhaps it's the things you're putting into your body or it's the things that you're watching in other places with your eyes. Hey, look at me. 
look at me. The only shame, the only shame is if you keep doing it. Admitting it is not the shame, folks. That's the healing. That's the redemption. The only shame is if you fill your heart right now, your compass, saying, you got to stop. And then you choose to keep doing it. That's what you should be ashamed of. Don't be ashamed to repent. This is a glorious opportunity for you and me to repent. But if you keep tracking in these sins of destruction, you're going to lose your life. I don't want that for you. Instead, make the resolve to put on Christ. Maybe you're just a liar. Maybe you don't know how to use your tongue well. Maybe you have deep roots and fruits of bitterness in your heart. Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you have some other addiction. Whatever it is, today, not tomorrow, not in five hours, right now, get on your knees, put your hands together, bow your head, do something and repent. It's simple. Make a decision in your mind. Remember, free will. Choosing your mind. I want to change. Let Christ get in your heart and then put on Christ's behavior. Act like Christ. Do what, Je- what would Jesus do? Now, let me end this sermon. Let me land the plane with the most important takeaway that I've ever given in any sermon in my entire ministry of 14 plus years. And I mean it. This is going to be the most important takeaway that I've ever given in any sermon in my entire life. And I'm going to do this slowly. Let's lean in to this takeaway. Here it is. My family, you can't change nor transform your heart. Only God can. But God won't change your mind without your glad, free will, joyful participation. But if you change your mind, God will change your heart and your consistent and enduring new Christ-centered activity will reflect that the supernatural event of change was genuine. And this is good news for every issue of life is a matter of the heart. That's why God came for our hearts. Therefore, when the heart changes, the mind can more permanently follow and one's activity can better sustain. Therefore, hey, look at me. Admit today that you're wrong. Wherever you're wrong, just admit it to God. Say, God, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'm wrong. I shouldn't talk to my wife that way, my husband that way. I was wrong for watching that. I was wrong for doing that. I was wrong for being bitter. Wherever it's at, just admit it. Put your pride to the side. Admit wherever you have been sinning. And then resolve that you just don't want to be that way anymore. Say, no, 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 God, no, God, no more. I don't want to be that way anymore. And even if you have fear that you can't stop. But what if I can't stop, Pastor Brennan? I want to stop, but I don't know if I can stop. I don't know if I can stop. Even if you have fear and you don't know if you can stop sinning because of your weakness. Hey, don't trust your power. You are not powerful. You can't stop. You trust in God's power. 
hear me? You trust in God's power. You just got to tell God that you want to be a new man and you want to be a new woman and that you want to take off your old man. That's your responsibility. You tell God what you desire with a repentant, genuine heart. You have to decide to change your mind. God will get active in your heart, but you got to make a decision to change your mind. I changed my mind about this, so God, heal my heart. I changed my mind about the things I say, so God, change my tongue. You decide, and God will get active. Tell Jesus desperately what you want, folks. First, for your life personally, and then others can experience it publicly. Ask the Lord to forgive you for being so callous and being past feelings in the areas where you've been past feelings. Say, I don't want to be like the world anymore. Stop being like the world, Christians. Be in Christ and act like Christ. You have to remember that we are in the world, but we are called to not be of the world. We are here to see God. That's why we're on this planet. Make no mistake about it. We are here to see God and to help others to see God. So let's end with this. As we spin and wring out our lives seeing God and helping others to see God, we establish our whole purpose of our existence. And we need to stop trying to find other purposes in the world. They're faulty and they won't satisfy. Remember, with Christ, everything that we've talked about today is more than possible. It's promised. I'm going to say that again. Everything we've talked about today with Christ is not only possible, but promised by the God of the universe. So say to yourself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, God. We are so undeserved of this relationship that you've given us, God. And Lord, my heart breaks right now, God, for brothers and sisters who have lost hope and don't believe that they can become a new man and a new woman. So in the name of Jesus, with all that I am, I pray and I intercede with prayers of intercession and supplications that you would give us power, Holy Spirit, to say no, no, no to the old man. And that we would say yes, yes to the call that you have for our lives. No more bitterness, God. Heal hearts, Lord. We've been abused. We've been broken. We've been slandered. But in you we're healed, Jesus Lord, Redemption City Churches have been called to do great things. But we can't do great things, God, if we're broken. We can't do great things if we're not forgiving. So, God, forgiveness, God. Be people who forgive. Be people who give away. Stop stealing, God. We don't want to do it. We don't want to lie. We don't want to steal. We want to be humble servants. We want to grow your church to be all that you've called it to be. Help us to put it all away. Holy Spirit, help us to prepare for all that you have for us in chapter 5. There's so much there. We're going to go through so much. But with you, God, we're going to make it. And we're going to be victorious. We're going to walk, God. Holy Spirit, help us to believe. And Holy Spirit, help us where we have doubt. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. I love you, Redemption City Church.